another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? Uh, I'm doing great, Parker. Uh, you're my friend, too. Uh, no, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, I had the week off of work last week. Uh, oh, wow. And it rained so much in Bay City that I didn't get to play golf once. I was my first follow up question was going to be how many rounds of golf did you get to play? Right. And we, that is disappointing. We, it started raining in the middle of our Fourth of July tournament. Uh, that's Sunday, July Fourth, and it didn't stop until uh, last Saturday. So I played zero rounds. It's very depressing. Man, that is uh, that is disappointing. All, all well, no work and no golf makes Grant a dull boy. I don't know how that analogy would work, but it, it goes something like that. Um, on happier occasions, how are you, man? I'm I'm doing well. We have left the East Coast. I'm back in in God's time zone, Mountain Time. We are in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which has all the elevation of Denver and all of the heat of the frickin' desert. Uh, and so people out here are like, oh, but it's a dry heat and. The sweat on my back in and on my undershirt begs to differ about it being a dry heat. So, I, I don't can't believe you just tried to breeze over mountain time being God's time. I'm not going to let that slide. I think the one lesson I've learned in my travels this year, Grant, you know, looking back and thinking about my life, is that Central Time is the worst of all worlds. That's a horrible, horrible Eastern Time. Horrible right, everything starts late. But here's the thing. I don't care about the NBA. I don't care if the NBA finals start at 10 p.m. on the East Coast because I'm not watching them. You get the morning, and so you can go do your entire, your, your ideal life. I'm going to meditate for 75 minutes. I'm going to work out. I'm going to take an ice bath. Like, whatever nonsense you want to do in the morning, be productive. To your heart's content, you can go hike by the ocean and then come back, and the workday still hasn't started. Um, and so I, I love the morning and the Eastern time. And then you could... you. That doesn't make any sense. Well, well, my, my work is in central time, right? So I'm an hour ahead out there. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But if you work in the same time zone as you live, that doesn't vary, I don't think. Yeah, but if you're not optimizing your time zone, you're just, you're a rube at this oh, point. Okay. So <sighs> you're right, Parker. I'm sorry. And then mountain time, that. man, baseball starts at like, you know, six o'clock out here. It's great. College football, you know, a, uh, you get a breakfast burrito and a cup of coffee and game day's almost over. You're about ready to kick off. So, uh, now, yeah. I'm, I'm but that didn't leave you enough time to get drunk before kickoff. I'm disappointed. Well, unless you don't try hard. I'm disappointed yeah, that you that's, lack that's, uh, enough faith. That's, that's also, fair. a lot I, of places in mountain time, you're at elevation, so it makes it a little easier. You know, it's life full of trade-offs. That's a good... That's, the thing about mountain time is that it's a time zone with a lot of mountains. The Purple Theory podcast does not endorse binge drinking or drinking with the intent to get drunk. We do uh, endorse popping a few cold ones with the boys uh, or, or girls with the, with the people uh, on a Saturday. It's a my yeah, medical uh, We also don't technically endorse drinking before 10 a.m., but do what you have to do. Life happens to all of us uh, is all it, I'll it say. It does. Parker, this is, uh, this is a hard transition. Life happens to all of us, and... Uh, a big event in our lives was meeting for the first time in 2019 at Big 12 Media Days. We are now two years, approximately, to the day. Big 12 Media Days are back. You're so excited. I can see your face. I know you love it. I, You know, I, I do love that memory mostly because all I was doing at Big 12 Media Days, I guess that was the second time I had been there. So the first time, the first time I was at Media Days was 2018, and I was at Frogs at War. And Melissa couldn't go and Jamie couldn't go. And so they sent me 
and uh, I got to sit next to Dean Straka. And the oh, thing about Dean God. is like, he's, he's a hardworking man. He's a journalist. He was like actually doing things. And I was entirely there to screw around and talk to players. Like Kyle <laughs> Kempt and I talked about his computer science major for like 25 minutes. Um, the Iowa state quarterback. And, and so it was just very funny to be like, Oh, what's up, man? How's it going? And like, you know, I'm drinking all the free Dr. Pepper I can physically fit in my body and eating all the food and trying to sneak. We were, we were out at the, um, the star in Frisco. I was trying to like sneak mm-hmm. into the areas. Uh, my story is that, I used the urinal next to Cliff Kingsbury. I, yeah, so, so, so I like Big 12 Media Days. And then 2019, we met. And, and I, again, all I was there to do was like look at um, name tags. I met, I met Shayon for the first time, uh, yeah. my arch nemesis, uh, and, and, and some other people that was great. Um, what's his name from Oklahoma that always wears the really funky jackets? Um, oh, Eddie? No, not Eddie. He's he's like an old guy. He's you would you would know his name, and I'm the oh, worst at this. Um, Barry Trammell. He's from the Bar- Barry Trammell. Yep, Barry Trammell. Met Barry yep. Trammell. Like stuff like that. That was kind of still. Hey, I'm just I'm just fanning out, and and then we met because all I was doing was looking at name tags and this gigantic human being. Uh, for the listener, Grant is like way taller than you think he is, uh, mm-hmm. and so I yeah we 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 met each other then, and that was kind of the birth of uh, a good little a good little TCU thing there. It was, yeah, no, it uh, that that pretty much started started this whole shebang. Um, look, you, you and I were talking before we started recording. The Big Twelve Media Days are for content, right? It's been a content desert for I don't know seven months, six months since you know the end of a you know the college football season, signing day, all that. It, it Big Twelve Media Day is is for the fans and it's for writers to get back into the swing of things. That doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that you gotta kind of have to appreciate what it is for what it is. Um, and look, we got some quotes. Do you want to talk about quotes? Yeah, we can. We can talk about quotes again. Like you look at the lineup, nobody's sending their quarterbacks. Really, it's it's all just it. It is just a sideshow. And I think twenty twenty and not having it kind of made made people realize, oh, we we don't actually care about this very much. So. Yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, and some things, I think there's some things you can divine from what people say, but, you know, in, in what, like 2018, you know, there was all this hullabaloo about Matt Baldwin and TCU doing this vertical passing attack, whatever, just some complete nonsense because Gary Patterson mm-hmm. said one throwaway thing. So I, I think just take your Big 12 media days with with a, a couple grains of salt. So let's let's talk about some quotes and just remember, actually, none of this matters and coaches are just lying and saying nonsense mostly. Uh, guess who was there, Parker? At Big Twelve Media Days, yeah. Your friend and your friend and mine, uh, Max, Max Duggan. Duggan. Max Duggan. He speaks for the first time. He's never spoken to the media before. This was, this is it. This, yeah, not what I thought his voice would sound like. Really, um, in it, higher no, pitched or lower I, pitched? A little higher, but I don't mean that in like a mean. Like it sounded like a like a dude from Iowa, but like in a yeah. nice way. He seems like a nice guy, you know. Um, that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever said on a podcast. Uh, he's a 20 year old college kid. Um, he seemed pretty confident and, and well coached, I would say, uh, at media days, talked a lot about what he needs to improve on. Um, it's probably not a good thing when your quarterback says I struggled passing the ball last year. Um, but at least he knows it and he's trying to fix it. Can I drop a conspiracy theory on you? It's not even a conspiracy theory. It's just reality. This is what happened. Yeah. Can you think of a recent TCU quarterback who had a very bad year and matured over the offseason and then had a very good year? Trevon Boykin? 
I have no comment on Trevon Boykin's maturity. Let's go a little more recent. Oh, okay. Uh, Kenny Hill? Kenny, one, one Kenneth Hill. Uh, okay. Do you know who the quarterback's coach at TCU is currently? You do, of course. It's it, it's Kenny Hill. And so uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of that is Kenny Hill being able to project and coach Mac, project his experience on Max Duggan and coach Max Duggan to say, look, just because you were bad last year, even, even like, hey, you shouldn't have started, you had the heart condition, whatever. Objectively on the field, Max had a lot of trouble. I think that Kenny Hill is in a unique position to take someone like Max and say, you can take a step forward. You absolutely can. And you need to be confident about that and you need to be able to articulate that. And so I, I like that Max got an opportunity to go kind of face the cameras and say, nope, I'm QB1. There's no, there's no, oh shoot, we're, we're plugging holes. There's no, oh, should he start? What's happening? Is he injured? It's like, nope, this is Max Duggan's team. And I think Kenny Hill is, is a really valuable resource. Grant, I think back to... Um, I can't remember exactly what game it is, but at one point, uh, and this is not to besmirch Jerry Kill, who I, who I think I'm coming around on, but Jerry Kill, Max Duggan threw an interception, and Jerry Kill went up and talked to him on the sideline, and Kenny Hill physically got in between Jerry and Max and got Max away mm-hmm. to be like, nope, we don't berate the quarterback after he throws an interception. Like that's not how we that's not how we deal with him. And so I think that Kenny is an invaluable uh, an invaluable resource in terms of kind of emotional maturity. And and that that mental side of things, which for Max Duggan, I think is really the the key there. Obviously, he has the physical abilities. It's kind of the consistency for can you do these things well? And I think there's a huge mental aspect to that. So it's really refreshing to have Max being, you know, out there and confident and and clearly working with someone who knows how to highlight that confidence. I completely agree. Um, I do want to touch on something that you said, which is that it's nice to have Max out there saying, Hey, I'm QB one. Um, Gary actually said this is the first time we've had a returning quarterback back since 2017 which is the way he looks at it because obviously 2019 Duggan won the job late 2020 he was you know they didn't know if he was going to play uh you know they couldn't let him do much until the week before the season started with the heart condition whether you believe that or not whether you believe he was ready for Iowa State whatever um but it's his show now and uh I I think that's always a plus for a team to have to be like nope this is our guy he's going to run it and we're going to put our faith behind him Absolutely. And I think that in a program like TCU, that is, that is, you know, for however recruiting is improved, is going to be a development program. Max Duggan has not had any development at TCU. And so this is the first time he's had a full off season of work and he's been able to come back in. Things are normal. We can put in the work. We can take a step forward. I, I, I think his, his improvement is going to be exponential. And I mean, think back, Grant, the second half of that Iowa State game, man, when Max came in and was just slinging the ball before teams realized, oh, we can we can only bring three and just and just kill the quarterback and it'll be okay and still cover everyone when there was still kind of that newness there and Duggan was just slinging the ball. You thought, yep, this is what I believed he can do. And so I I really expect him to take a step forward. I really believe that development narrative for sure. I do too. Um, before we get into, uh, we should probably say at this point, we are previewing Kansas State on this episode. Uh, we have one other, <laughs> bit, of, we have one other bit of news. <laughs> we have one other bit of news uh, to get to. Uh, before we do Welcome that. Welcome to the I, Purple I, Theory podcast where Grant and Parker yes. are just going to talk for an hour and a half and you're going to listen, damn it. <laughs> if you hadn't figured out who we're previewing by the title of this episode, that's your fault. Um one other completely meaningless bit of news from Big 12 Media Days that we're going to talk about nonetheless. Uh, Duggan did say that he is trying to model his game or at least take lessons from uh, Aaron Rodgers as a pro quarterback. 
my question to you, high end, low end. If you had to compare his game to someone on the high end and on the low end, who would it be? Pause. Very Does that mean Max radio. Duggan believes in aliens? Uh, I hope he at least talks to his family. Um, but well, that's, that's do you know this? Okay, this is Aaron Rodgers believes he has an he has an alien encounter, like legitimately in good faith is like I interacted with extraterrestrial beings. That rules. And his family is like, yeah, we're not we're not talking to you anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think that's one of these the reason behind it. Um, okay. Also, sure. another thing that's funny is so you know the the stats of wife is very plugged into pop culture. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers is dating. Um, you're gonna. Help He's me engaged with this. to. What's her name? Shailene Woodley. Yes, but they there was a selfie of Aaron Rodgers and her and and another couple and they were like on an island vacation whatever during packers you know otas which is why i saw it because mm-hmm. rogers wasn't wasn't there or anything and it's the dude from fault in our stars so like shalene woodley or whatever her name is is still friends with the guy that was in that movie and so elgort is yes his name. Yeah. and so aaron rogers and that guy are friends which to me feels like <laughs> oh, a generational gap <laughs> that feels like that should not be <laughs> It's like, dude, I, like, you I were in middle school when he was a baby. I don't know that you you yeah. two should be friends. Like, he was a pro quarterback when the book came out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, oh, okay, so funny. Uh, regarding Max Duggan, I, I, I did do an article uh, on the newsletter um, where I kind of, you know, use some, used some statistical techniques to say, hey, mm-hmm. a quarterback who's coming into his third year, kind of given these similar stats – what are the ranges of outcomes? And so what, what can Max Duggan expect or what can we expect out of Max Duggan? And so I kind of did a burst, uh, best case, worst case and looked at a couple guys um, who, who took really big steps forward. I like Matt Corral from uh, Ole Miss. He took a mm-hmm. huge step from 19 to 20. Um, I think his QBR improved by 37.5 points. Um, another guy, Sam, Sam Ellinger, increased by 30.2 um, and, and so I think Duggan with his running ability is going to mm-hmm. be really, really interesting. So, so you can, you can throw some of these out. Like I, I, I did this whole article, go read the article. I'm not going to read it line for line for here, but you know, a guy like Carson strong at Nevada, well, they just committed to the air raid. So like, obviously your efficiency is going to go up because you're throwing a lot shorter passes. Right. And I, I don't think we're going to see that improvement, but I do think we're going to see an offense that is, that is a lot more suited to Max Duggan's strengths. Mm-hmm. And so I'm optimistic. I think the bounds that I had put on him were like the floor is Kenny Pickett, who is okay, fine. That would be disappointing, yes. but he is fine. Um, and mm-hmm. then the upside could be something like Matt Corral's 2020, where hey, it's a little erratic. There are moments where I didn't think you should you 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 should do the things you're doing, but still you can kind of get out there and 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 be a guy that is a a you know, consensus capital G good quarterback. Right. I think that Max Duggan can be a good quarterback. So the range was, you know, kind of uh, the, the, the best QBR quarterback rating ESPN's kind of EPA based stat that I could talk myself into was 80.1, which would be better mm. than any quarterback since Boykins 2015. And it, it would be better than Boykins 2014 and Kenny Hills 2017. So, um, th- that would kind of be like a top 15 quarterback. And I think absolutely Max yeah. Duggan is capable. He, he finished, um, gosh, I was talking to somebody the other day, Mike Bainbridge, shout out Mike Bainbridge. The, uh, he, he does a lot of like fantasy football stuff. We're talking about TCU and, and he does college fantasy football. Max Duggan was like 31st in, in fantasy points last year. 
And mm-hmm. not that that translates directly to reality, but I, I think Duggan's going to be a guy that's going to become immensely valuable because of his legs. And I think his arm will absolutely improve. Um, and so, you know, you go that Kenny Pickett to Matt Corral. I, I, there's a world where Max Duggan's a top 15 quarterback in college football this year. Yeah. I, I honestly, I like Matt Corral just because he's one of those guys where, yeah, I don't like what you're, I don't like what you're doing, but it sure is cool. And it'd be awesome if it worked off. Or if it worked out. And it's interesting because he almost compares, Corral does in my mind, kind of to Aaron Rodgers' predecessor, Brett Favre, who's one of my favorite players going up, just in terms of, hey man, the guy's got to sling it. Um, yeah. He's got some escapability. Rodgers is a better runner, um, and Duggan's a better runner. But just guys sort of like, hey man, I'm going to make a play, and uh, let's hope it works out. And you can design an offense around that. Just get receivers in open space and let them make plays. I'm not comparing Max Duggan to Brett Favre. I'm just saying that's you know kind of the similar player to Corral. Iowa and Mississippi are the same. That's that's a good comparison. That's, well, that's, um, yeah. That's a okay, I have I have one more thing about that, and then let's let's talk about Kansas State. Talking about Aaron Rodgers, I I, I think is is a little bit of a, a Freudian slip there to talk about how much they've worked on Duggan's decision making because the big deal with okay. Duggan and with young quarterbacks in general. So you know, eighteen Sean Robinson, nineteen the revol- revolving door, twenty Duggan being inexperienced. TCU really doesn't like to throw in the middle of the field because they're worried about. You know, high turnover possibility. So many things can go wrong. Very strong, very strong vibes of, you know, when you throw the ball downfield, three things can happen and two of them are bad. Mm-hmm. Talking about Rodgers means they're really emphasizing his development and his decision making. And so I think that's a very encouraging sign. Um, again, I don't know if that's something he's personally done or if it's Kenny or if it's, you know, Doug or Jerry or Tim Beck, who we're, we're out in front of everyone on uh, talking about how important he is, but saying, hey, if you can work on your processing for the middle of the field, man, we're going to make a safety choose whether he wants to get run the F over by you or or have you hit Quentin Johnston in the middle of the field in stride. And that is going to be so dangerous. Parker, at one point last week when I wasn't playing golf, I was uh, drinking wild turkey with my friends and the thought came across my mind that we're going to go 13-1 and one next year. And uh after that, I'm amending it to 14 to know. Uh, before we go to Kansas State, can we take a pot shot at a former Big 12 program for like two minutes? I'm all about it. Look, the Colorado Buffaloes are in a front to taste. <laughs> Wait, where, sorry, where did you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, LaVisca Chanel. Let me tell you about now. Um, I, I loved him. Uh, no, the Pick a position, man. Be a running back or a receiver. Cut out with that Namby. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. The Nebraska Cornhuskers, maybe you've heard of them. Oh, God. Uh, they're on their fourth athletic director since 2011. Uh, they hired a, a guy named Trev Albert, a man with two first names, uh, who really one and a half first names because Trev is not a full name, who was an All-American linebacker for them uh, in the early 90s. It is basically the equivalent of hiring Tank Carter to be the athletic director at TCU. Uh, widely panned on social media. I think... Uh, Stephen Godfrey's reaction was just all caps, ha, 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 for like four tweets in a row. Um, Parker, do you know where Trev Albert was before he just got hired at Nebraska? No, I'm looking at a picture of him right now for the first he time. Was, he was about an hour and a half up the road at Nebraska-Omaha, which does not have a football program, and actually dropped it under Albert. Wow. So he's moving um, from Nebraska Omaha to Nebraska Lincoln, which is the equivalent of like, I don't know, living with your parents and then moving into uh, like the White House or something. Yeah, dang. 
he looks like a politician, man. You know, Nebraska, I, I don't I don't even know what to think about that. Um, he's kind of like a, an amalgam of, of, of just, you know, generic. It, it looks like, it looks like what Nebraska did was said, we need someone who is not offensive to the eyes, who is not going to mm-hmm. make any strong decisions. Uh, that's going to, that's going to hurt us. Um, and who is just going to get up there and, and be like super neutral. And that, this is who you would think of, uh, as just kind of a neutral move. So again, you're in the big 10, the TV deals are happening. You're fine. So it doesn't super matter. I wonder how much of that is. I think they had a good point last year in saying the big 10 was dealing unfairly with teams and applying double standards and how they were going to deal with things. And their decision-making process wasn't transparent. Also do think they got a little crazy and the messaging got lost there. And so, you know, if you want to come back middle of the road and be boring, man, this guy's middle name has to be boring. It's like, what if 1992, but now? Yeah. I mean, one, don't don't get me wrong. I love the idea of going back to 1992 and bull anarchy. But in the playoff era, I mean, yeah. is this guy going to walk in and fire Scott Frost? No. Is he he actually supported Frost and said he's, he's going to be hands-off when it comes to football. Which makes sense because, again, for the last, I don't know, I think it's been like five years. No, ten years. They have not had a football program at Omaha. So... We, well, it's good that he's hands off. That didn't they hire? Um, is it Fred Hoiberg, the basketball coach there at Nebraska? Dude, I think That's they hilarious. hired. I mean, this good is for the them. worst That's kind of podcast where we just like Google things online. It is yeah, Fred no, Hoiberg, is. okay, is. former yeah, Iowa State coach. Like he was at the Bulls, and ago. yeah, so that hasn't gone like amazingly, but that's at least interesting. No, and by it hasn't gone amazingly, I mean he's won 14 games combined over the last two years. That's bad. Sorry, that's that's objectively bad. That's objectively um, bad. Interesting. The reason, yeah. the reason, go ahead. I just think the mean potential for Nebraska is very high. Yes. Um, and so, again, we, we talked about like, all you got to do is not do anything. And this feels like Nebraska trying to not do anything. Be like, nope, we're just doing something very neutral. We're just going middle of the road, very boring. Please pay no attention to the athletic director behind the curtain. Um, exactly. The reason I brought this up, who would be the best or worst alumnus TCU could bring in as athletic director? <laughs> and I, I, There are several politicians I could give for an answer on both sides of the aisle as worse, but I will stray away from that and stick to sports. I uh, Yeah, I thought about TCU alumni, and I just had a couple that I, I probably won't say on air. Um, right. I think, I mean, if you look at athletes, like, I don't know, you bring back Matt Carpenter and get the fans all cheery. Okay, You're wearing a St. Be- Louis Cardinals hat. I am wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat. The best is Brandon Parrish, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brandon Parrish has a great smile. He would, you know, wear a nice suit, shake people's hands in the in the before before the football games in the stadium, and he's a smart guy. I, I, I like Brandon Parrish a lot. I think Brandon Parrish, basketball player, would be my my best case. Um I don't know well, that I, I'm going to say my worst case on yeah, it. I think we'll leave, that that's for, fair. we'll leave that as an exercise to the reader. There's there's a lot of directions you can go. Um, Devontae Fields would be a very bad one. <laughs> we wouldn't have to worry about security at the stadium. Seriously. Uh, uh, I was yeah. going to say, you uh, you know, you bring in Dan Jenkins and just kind of have him hobnob with people. The man is the best hobnobber of all time. Was the best, RIP. Uh, I mean, he... He made friends with Ben Hogan, who's the prickliest man of all time. You'll have to censor him a little bit, 
But uh, I, I think a reanimated Dan Jenkins would be great. Bob Lilly too would be good, um, just at least for a fan favorite. But. Ty, Ty Gunn, I think, could bring back Ty Gunn. Yeah, some nostalgia. So he'll get Andy Dalton in there. Well, but he like has a real job, so that's not. Yeah, I, does he? Does he? I mean, he's getting paid millions, so. Um, so oh my gosh, we're we're at twenty four minutes. We have to talk about Kansas okay, State. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, no, we totally digress. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry, listeners. I I apologize. Yeah, we really really. Apologize. I don't. I actually don't care. We're gonna do whatever uh, we want, and you can turn this off. So, Parker, let me tell you something. I hate Kansas State. I, not the team, not the school. We have good friends that uh, on Twitter, uh, Scott Wildcat, shout out, Bosco Boys. Um, I hate this game. The last fun one was yeah. 2015. Yeah, so, I, I, since you have it's a lot to say great. about Kansas State. You have a lot to say about Kansas State. This is just my. This is why I hate it. Since 2015, no team in that game has scored more than 30 points, and TCU hasn't scored more than 14 since 2017. It's the dumbest game each and every year. So tell me, Parker, why should I be interested in Kansas State? I mean, wow that 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 stat of of fewer than thirty points is. Insane. It has been very boring. I think Kansas State is the the barometer for the Big 12's national title contention. I think Kansas State is is perpetually the middle, the median team. Uh, and not in the sense that they always finish in the middle. They don't always finish fifth. But I'm saying in terms of talent and in terms of ability, Kansas State is very firmly the fifth best team in the league. And where they finish, you know, third or seventh kind of dictates where the Big 12 is nationally in terms of respect. And so I, I think they're really interesting just because they're absolutely capable, uh, like they've shown, of, of beating someone, right? Chris Kleiman, 2-0 versus Oklahoma. Um, and they're capable of altering the landscape, not in the sense that they're going to go to the Big 12 championship, but they're going to beat an Oklahoma State, an Iowa State, a TCU, somebody who's trying to get to that second spot and completely upend the race. And so I, in many ways, I think they're the most interesting team in the Big 12 just because so much of everyone else's path in this round robin rests on what Kansas State does and can do. Um, I think in, in, in 2020, we, we don't have a lot of information about them. So I'm not going to vomit out statistics. I'm going to pull back a little bit on that. You know, they, they, they were four and six. Um, their expected win loss was 4.2, 5.8, like pretty consistent with that. Um, they, they finished seventh in the Big 12. Obviously, Skylar Thompson got hurt and Will Howard had to play quarterback. And so you, you really just can't make a lot of inferences off of that because it's just, again, so much happened there that... It, it just it just almost doesn't matter what happened in 2020 but even despite that they were they were feisty and I think Chris Kleiman is is one of the few coaches in the big 12 who knows what it means to win consistently um and not say hey you know a lot of big 12 coaches are very conditioned to can we build up over the course of a couple years and and strike while the iron's hot and then go back and recoup and then in a couple years try again and Kleiman is someone who said no I can get a, get a program humming and keep it going. And so can he be able to do that at Kansas State? I mean, for Kansas State, you know, if he, he goes 9 to 10 wins every year and just ends up in the Alamo Bowl, that's still pretty pretty high ceiling for for what Kansas State historically has, has, has been. So um, I think they're really interesting because they are kind of this plumb line for the rest of the conference. 
I think that's totally fair. Can I give you my favorite Kansas State stat from last year? Big fan. And and this is uh this is obviously, you know, contingent on Thompson being out, but at one point Kansas State uh, was ranked. Let me make sure I get this right. Sixteenth in the country, and then they lost their last five games. Why which is were they objectively hilarious? When were they? Why are they? Because so they lost to Arkansas State to start the year. That's when I think it was Thompson threw the worst hail mary of all time. Like they needed to go forty yards, and he threw it twenty five. Yeah. But then they beat number three Oklahoma on the road, beat Texas Tech, beat TCU, and blew out Kansas. They were four and one with a win over Oklahoma, and they were number sixteen in the country uh, on October twenty fifth. They then proceeded to. <laughs> Lose to West Virginia thirty-seven to ten. They've lost to Iowa State forty-five to nothing. They lost to Texas sixty-nine to thirty-one, uh, and, and a couple of, of close losses to um, Baylor and Oklahoma State. But uh, just just a meltdown at the end of the year. And a lot of that again is with Thompson being out. But still, it's not a great. Uh, it's an ignominious end to the season for for Kansas State. Indeed, you gotta you gotta really be trying to let or not trying to let Texas almost drop seventy on you. Like if Sam Ellinger is almost dropping seventy on you, that's just a lot of frustration. You know, good on Kansas State for providing the public good of allowing Sam Ellinger to end his career on a high note and say, you know what, I'm not worthless. Um, yeah, that's that's very good. That's very charitable of them. You know, the, the the people in Kansas are always so nice, and that's just a great example right there of them letting Sam Ellinger just completely blast them to end of the season. No comment. Uh, um, let's let's talk about let's talk about some things. Here's what I'm interested in trying to look at because with climate again. So I'm not going to regurgitate stats about you know Kansas State was 80th in EPA margin last year. Yeah, they were because they were playing you. No, they right. weren't playing you. It's worse. They were playing Mason Treen at quarterback last year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's and, that's me. Will Howard is much taller than Mason. Treen. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Nation train on uh, on stilts. Um, so what I'm interested in, Grant, is is kind of their recruiting trends because I, I think there's something that's really interesting for for two reasons. Um, okay. So so let me let me let me monologue about recruiting for a second. But the, Kansas is Kansas State's team talent composite has been ninth in the Big Twelve every year uh, since 2017 wow. over the last four years, and that's to be expected, right? Their development program they're not they're not as sexy. They're not getting the four and five stars. But if you look at their total recruiting points. It is dramatically increased, right? Their talent level is getting better. 2017, 522.5. 2018, 552.4. 2019, 543.5. And then in 2020, 560.7. And so they've increased their team talent composite, which Grant is just summing up all of the the ratings of every person on your on your roster. Uh, they've, mm-hmm. they've increased that by 38.4. So on an 85-man roster, you start to think about, well, 38 divided by 85. And that's a pretty substantial overall talent increase in who is there. So they, you know, they, they still have guys, not dudes, for the most part. But those guys are substantially better under Kleiman than they were at the end of Snyder's tenure and then kind of moving forward. So he, he's, he's made some strides there. The recruiting rankings, they were 66th in 2018. 63rd in 2019, 52nd in 2020, and then 55th in 2021. So that that is at least a little bit of a level shift. What's most interesting that is if we look at these, they have two really high profile signees. So uh, Devontae Pritchard is an, is an athlete who has a 0.8688 rating, which is um, uh, just a really high quality kind of 
an exceptional talent for, for what Kansas State has been recruiting. The other one that's really interesting to me in kind of the macro sense is Jake Rubley, who is a quarterback four-star, .9204 rating. Grant, that is the highest rated recruit at quarterback that Kansas State has had since Josh Freeman. What year was Josh Freeman a recruit? Oh man! Uh, I know you've played NCAA with him, and yes, you know you just run four verts and you just kind of run around with Josh Freeman. It's great, but two thousand six. Two thousand six is correct. He was a recruit in two thousand six, oh, and he was like a point nine. Uh, I should have written this down. I didn't write this down, but I think he was a point nine five. So Jake Rubley is 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 the best recruit Kansas State has had at any position since since the two thousand tens and on. Just in the modern, you know, the modern modern era, if you will. Where is um, Rubley from? Rubley is from Kansas. Now you put okay. me on the spot. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I don't know if you. Have I have another fun not. fact uh, about him. Uh, okay. Jake Rubley has a relative who's famous. Okay. Jake Rubley, I am not kidding you. This is real. This isn't a meme. Jake Rubley is Sylvester Stallone's nephew. Shut up. Rocky. There's a picture of him. I'll send it to you on Instagram. Family gathering. The big man right there flexing the biceps right next to this little high school quarterback. So, Rubley. That's incredible. uh, By the way, he's from uh, Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Uh, Oh, that's basically. That is is awesome. Yeah, that's that's maybe the best fun fact in the Big 12 this year. I think I'm going to take my Actually, I say that. Can I give you one more? Okay. Scott Wildcat mentioned earlier uh retweeted this today some uh john kurtz uh uh who uh, is, a, is a radio host for kansas state new k-state transfer defensive back reggie stubblefield okay his family owns stubbs barbecue sauce which you see in grocery stores interesting yes so not as That's not quite good. the profile of sylvester stallone but i do love that barbecue sauce there's a lot of celebrity power on that uh, on that Kansas State team in 2021. So, um, okay, let's let's talk about Skylar Thompson. I feel like that's where I'm going to dance okay. around for a little bit, but we just we just need to get to it. Um, Skylar Thompson, senior, he's 6'2", 223. He was a .8783 recruit out of college. He has about 2.5 years of experience. So was hurt last year. Um, is 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 pretty old, but it's not as old as you think, just because he played for so he he played so early. Um, and it, it's almost misleading to, to look at some of the stats because he did go out so early. So like, obviously total EPA, he's not even on the board because he, he played so few games, but EPA per attempt, he was averaging like point point four two three, which is about middle of the road. 32.8% of his completions resulted in first downs. He, he completed about 60% of his passes, 64% of his passes eh, for about 15.1 yards yards per completion, filtering out for drive. So the, there's some upside with Skylar Thompson, but he, he really is just a very large question mark uh, because, you know, he he's had some development. And then he, even at his ceiling, he hasn't looked great. He's looked fine. And then he had a, you know, a leg injury last year. And so uh, as so often happens with Big 12 schools, what you think of Skylar Thompson is going to inform what you think of Kansas State this year. Mm-hmm. Um, a fun fact about Skylar Thompson, he received an offer in 2016 from North Dakota State, whose head coach was? Chris Kleiman. Chris Kleiman. Uh, so that's kind of, that's fun. Just a neat little, neat little bow getting tied there. What do you think about Skylar Thompson, Grant? I will say that I'm not sold. Um, 
I, I think he's a low ceiling, high floor guy. I don't think he's going to lose you a lot of games. I think he's, I don't think he's going to win you a lot of games. He did beat Oklahoma, so there's that. Um, I, I may be proven wrong. I, I, I just don't quite. I know he's been around for a while. I still feel like for some reason I don't have enough information about Skylar Thompson. Yeah, uh, it just always seems like he's in the early stages of a development process. Um, maybe that'll all pay off this year. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Uh, but because he's such a question mark, it's why I think Kansas State is such a question mark. Which, again, as you alluded to, because we don't know what he's going to be, we don't know what the Wildcats are going to be. I, I don't know. How, how, how do you feel about him? I'm in a similar boat. I think that his experience is going to um, pay off a lot this year. I think that Kansas State knows exactly what they want to do on offense. I think that we'll, we'll talk about this. They have a very solid offensive line who was really young last year mm-hmm. and was good and is going to be better this year. Yeah, and so, again, I don't think he's you know your star playmaker. Um, I, I think a lot of people, when they kind of rank quarterbacks in a, in a conference, for instance, they think a lot about NFL potential. And mm-hmm. I think Skyler Thompson will be in the Sam Allinger range of, hey, someone will probably draft you. But I, I just can't – or, or I don't know. I, signed, as a, signed as an undrafted free agent. But, yeah, again, I don't I, think he has an NFL future in any way, shape, or form. Um, he he's, he's not great on the deep ball, but Kansas State doesn't really need the deep ball to thrive. Last year, their two biggest targets were Deuce Vaughn and Briley Moore, the tight end. And, and so they're really looking to use alignment to isolate matchups. And I think Thompson can get the ball to those matchups reliably yeah. and avoid turnovers, which was Will Howard's problem is Will Howard couldn't consistently do that and he was turnover prone. And so I think that'll be a huge step forward for Kansas State just because he is going to be so low variance. You said like like low ceiling, high floor. Just I'm not expecting an erratic game out of Skylar Thompson at any point. And I think that kind of boring consistency for Kansas State is going to be really, really useful for raising the floor of their inefficient but highly explosive offense from 2020. I think it's a great way to put it. I, I, I would describe him, I'll be charitable, not as a poor man, Sam Ellinger, but as kind of like a um, like a middle-class Sam Ellinger, right? A blue-collar Sam Ellinger, although, uh, you know, it's, Sam Ellinger hung his hat on being the most blue-collar quarterback in the country. But, you know, just just y- your average Sam Ellinger. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he definitely can run. Um he wasn't scrambling a ton, and when he ran, you know, he was he was averaging a first down rate of forty seven point three percent last year, um, and so there's there's tremendous value in that. But but I think his value this year is really going to be: can I get Deuce Vaughn um, the the ball in in space? Can I get you know Chavastin Taylor and 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 um, Malik Knowles the ball down the field to kind of have this credible threat over the top as well? And I'm less confident in his ability to find those outside receivers. Yeah, and I guess I should clarify: Ellinger's game, what he was a better runner than Thompson. Thompson last year again still three games, but he had 19 rushes for 38 yards. Um, Ellinger, say what you will, was at least a more capable runner than that. But just in terms of their passing, I, I think they're they're pretty similar. And in terms of the value they bring to the team. But anyway. Yeah. Um, um, he, along the offensive line, I think that they're yeah. going to be really good. Um, I, you know, last year they literally were returning no starters, um, although that was a misnomer because Josh Rivas had played a ton. He is, he is one of, if not the best guard in the conference, and I feel comfortable mm-hmm. saying that. Um, 
And so he's kind of anchoring that center. That interior offensive line is about as Kansas State as possible with Revis, Noah Johnson, and then Ben Adler is going to start at that right guard, I think. Those are those are guys who played together well last year and are beefy, but also pretty mobile. And so mm-hmm. that that's really interesting to me because, Grant, Kansas State is about 50-50 on gap and zone run schemes last year. And so that that really indicates, you know, I'm confident in my versatile offensive line. And what we can do is kind of look at our opponent and say, what do they want to give us and what can we take? And so having an offensive line that's more experienced, I think, is good. Um, yeah, the, the, the tackles, you've got Cooper Beebe and, uh, and, and Christian Duffy, who are both competent, if not excellent. Yeah, I think Beebe is better than Duffy. For sure. Um, I think the, the left side of the line is where you, you, I mean, you make your hay um, with BB and Revis and, and Johnson to center, who's, I mean, a, a walk on that six one two eighty seven, but is good. I mean, he's you know that number has to be least, old. I'm I, I I'm sure Kansas State's going to update that before the season. Yeah, I mean, they'll just feed him corn until he's three hundred and it'll work. But um, yeah, anyway, no, I, I it's having like five returners basically. Um, although I know Revis was you know anyway, but I I think they're going to be really really solid up front and that's scary honestly for a climate team that runs the ball extremely efficiently yes and and the fact that they have you know if you go and look at the offensive line for kansas state they have about eight eight or nine guys who could feasibly start um at kansas state and so that i think the depth right there is is really one of their strengths along the offensive line and again they're, they're really not going to focus too much on drop back passing. They're going to focus on, can I get the guy, guy the ball and, and kind of move it? Not to, I mean, we can kind of transition to skill players here, but like Deuce Vaughn, Grant, this is an insane stat. Deuce Vaughn's average depth of target. So, so the average distance that he was throwing the ball downfield was 3.5 yards. His mm-hmm. yards per completion was 17.4. That's the Kansas yeah, that's State offense. Well. That's it. It's insane, Parker. Um, by the way, Noah Johnson has put on six pounds. He's listed at 293. Oh, um, good for him. Yeah, just getting in the weight room. Uh, no, I agree. It's it's predicated on getting Deuce Vaughn into space. And by God, Deuce Vaughn, is, you described him as a one-trick pony. I'm not stealing your line here. I'm crediting you. But he's very good at that one trick. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I've seen certain people put out ranking lists of who's the best running back in the Big 12. And they've had Deuce Vaughn on it, and they're... They're wrong. Deuce Vaughn is not a running back. Um, you know, he, he was fine. He got about 40% of the rushes last year. He, he averaged just a very slightly positive EPA on rushes, but only a 22.7 first down rate, 3.06 yards after uh, a contact. Uh, and, and I mean, his big play rate was 26.4. So one in four runs was, was big. But a lot of that is, you know, can we get a sweep toss? Can we kind of get him on the edge? I think his real value is in receiving Grant, and you can see the, the the one that really sticks out to me of how Kansas State likes to use Deuce Vaughn is that Texas Tech game where they would line, line Vaughn up in the backfield. They would motion him to the right or to the left, and then they'd motion him back to the right. And there's a, a great touchdown against uh, Texas Tech that also was a touchdown against Oklahoma where Deuce Vaughn runs this angle route. Um, go back. I, I documented some of these in the Kansas State preview for TCU because I knew TCU was going to really focus on him. But Grant, right before the play, a Texas Tech linebacker looks to the sideline with his ham up, hands up, like <laughs> I should not be covering Deuce Vaughn, and then it was a touchdown. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that's really dangerous. My big concern is that that's on that's on tape. Yeah, 
and people are going to know. So like TCU, I, I wish I'd pulled that number exactly up, but like Vaughn was not really a factor against TCU. TCU was, was really able to shut him down. Of course, Will Howard was playing quarterback. That's, you know, something to think about, but I, I do wonder about if he can sustain that kind of high level explosiveness. Grant 0.597 EPA per completion, just absolutely insane amount of explosive potential there. I, I just don't know that he can sustain that. And so you look at, hey, I've got questions about Skylar Thompson. Hey, I've got questions about whether Deuce Vaughn can replicate a, a, a pretty high explosiveness season from last year. It makes me a little worried about this offense. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm looking back at that TCU game and just getting mad again. That's the maddest we've ever been on a podcast. Was Golly. TCU. Deuce Vaughn had one catch. It did go for 45 yards, but you're right. They shut him down. I mean, uh, Will and Howard. I, I think they missed 19. a field goal on that drive, too, so it wasn't I even. I think they did. Yeah. TCU outgained them 342 to 289. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, this is. No, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to talk no, about that game. Either. I want to get off this ride. Uh, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> Please it, it, unsubscribe it, me from this list. <laughs> it's on tape, and there is a, 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 a wealth of good linebackers in the Big 12. Um, this year, and I think that's going to be something where, hey, like, okay, maybe you don't want to have a linebacker on Vaughn in the passing game, but I think there are a lot of good pass coverage linebackers in conference that it's not the ideal matchup, but if they run a, I hate to call it a gimmick, but if they run a smart motion to get Vaughn on a linebacker and the linebacker is coached to know, uh, like, hey, this is coming at you, I don't think it'll be quite as effective this year. I yep. and, and and I generally see TCU as as like a year ahead of everyone else on defense in terms mm-hmm. of scheme, even if not in terms of talent. And so we talked about last or two weeks ago about Oklahoma State and how Tylen Wallace was, they were trying to switch Tylen Wallace to be on CJ Caesar and TCU just didn't let him do it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if teams, you know, they're playing the 3-3-5, three, three, they're going to have a nickel back if they're not going to be able to say, hey, we're, we're going to spy Deuce Vaughn, like you're, you're going to beat us another way. Um and I, I think there's possibilities to beat beat teams another way on, on offense. You know, Chabaston Taylor, um, a pretty good downfield threat. He had 0.131 EPA per, per attempt. Um, he's kind of, you know, his, his average depth of target was 14, but his yards per catch was 15. And so it's very much a, hey, I'm just going to possession receiver down the field. And, and that's going to be really valuable. Malik Knowles is kind of a... Touch and go consistency, uh, outside threat. And so you've got experience there, but again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily scared of either of them. If I'm an opposing coach, we're going to count for them, obviously, but if I can contain Vaughn, I'm going to say, look, Skylar Thompson, I'm bringing a fourth or fifth guy and you're going to have to get the ball downfield. You are not going to give the ball to Deuce Vaughn and let him run past my players. No, I agree. Um, Phillip Brooks is another wide receiver that might be involved more this year. Um, obviously, they lose. Uh, who's the tight end? Um, Bradley Moore. Bradley Moore. Think I always number his number name. Parker. It's the weirdest number zero. Thing shout out number zero. Yes, uh, Bradley Moore was so scary. Him? He had that. He had that great little. He'd run like a little wheel route kind of a thing. Oh, it's just. Yep. Oh, it's terrifying. Yep. They have another tight end that I am curious about. Uh, Sammy Wheeler, um, who last oh, year. Uh, I don't think Wheeler's going to be a. I don't mean to cut you off. Sorry, Wheeler's not going to no, be a factor. Ahead. Dan, no, I'm, so. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. I'm going to call him Danny. I Danny oh, okay, I yeah, yeah. is a transfer from Illinois. He was at, he was at USC for a while. He struggled with some injuries. He is a freak. And the, okay. the you know, talking to some K state folks and, and hearing what they're saying about him, they, they're talking like best tight end that Kansas state's ever seen, which okay. is really what they need and want out of an offense. And so 
I think they're going to play a little two-man game with Deuce Vaughn and, and, and Danny I, and that's going to be real troublesome um, if, if they can start clicking. Go, they're going to have a little bit of time if they can get some credible play action. Again, I don't know about the downfield threat, but their problem last year was not explosiveness. It was, it was moving the ball consistently. And so if they could, if they could raise their, their floor on that kind of consistent moving, then you're like, hey, I'm going to make you choose. Are you going to try and go speedy and put an extra defensive back on? And let you know uh, somebody potentially be matched up against a, a huge freak tight end, or you're going to try and go big, and then Deuce Vaughn's going to run past you. So that's interesting to me, just from a schematic standpoint. Of it's almost like basketball. You know, in basketball they, you know, basketball the game where they put things in. Yes. The, uh, but like the in basketball, yes. The little bit of strategy I know about basketball. There, there's times where people will go small lineups and go big lineups. Mm-hmm. I think Kansas State will be kind of playing to that. With, with this year just of, hey, we can go 21 personnel and 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 bust you. But as soon as you adjust to that, Deuce Vaughn's in the flat and he's gone. Or Deuce Vaughn's on an angle route over the middle of the field and good luck. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a really good analysis. I'm, I, I'm not even going to pretend to try to pronounce this this fellow's name either. His first name's Daniel. Um, yeah, Danny I, man. That's a, that's a guy. Danny I, yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll say in defense of myself and Sam Wheeler... Because I think you're right, uh, but he did. He had seven catches on eleven targets, and he led the team in uh, yards per reception with uh, nineteen point one. Um, so all I'm saying is that he's good. Fine, he's a good second option. So if you're looking for to, sure, to and I think they'll focus run on a on a on a tight end that wears number nineteen. Sammy Wheel is your guy. I think they'll. I, I mean, I think they'll put both of them on the field. So yeah. Um, can I flex for a second before we talk about the defense? Grant, I've been sure. I've been pulling the data from NCAA.com and I've been scraping it. It's been the pain in the behind and dealing with this. I went through and found all the targets and the yards per carry and everything because targets is not data that's like publicly available. A lot of that mm-hmm. is like charted data behind. NCAA.com has it and it matches up perfectly with the PFF stuff. So I feel super great about having a lot of that stuff. So these target share numbers we have, you know, Deuce Vaughn, 17 or 16.59%. Uh, for for receiving targets and 39.1% for rushing targets, those match up with PFF. And then I'm able to filter out garbage time now. So we can say, hey, I don't care when you were up or down by like, the, the you know, the end of the Texas game, who cares, right? Uh, right. And so these are kind of, I think these are, these are more interesting numbers because they're adjusted for these big picture um, kind of context things. So pretty fun. It's very exciting, Parker. I'm very happy for you. Look, I've just done a lot of work, and I'm very happy about it. CFB-Graphs.com, like and subscribe. Let's talk about uh, this. Hold on, I was, oh. you, you'll find this funny. I was I'm in a trivia league, and there is a a category about data science. Uh, I'll send you the link to the questions. But uh, one of the answers to the questions was R, and I got it wrong. Uh, but I was like, oh, I know that. That's what Parker does. Uh, it, was, it was a very nice, very nice thing to see. Well, next time you won't get it wrong. um okay let's talk about this defense um it wasn't good no it wasn't i have them at 100 in epa allowed yeah not great um white hubert was good he's not there anymore but he was good yeah so i mean they lose three really like key guys hubert led the team with 42 pressures last year um Parker, the defensive back, was the most targeted. He was most involved, and he had four pass breakups. And then uh, Elijah Sullivan, 42 tackles. He was the second leading tackler. They lose all three of those guys. 
And so I think their their kind of dudeness on defense is is substantially reduced. They do have a bunch of interesting returners though that I that I think are are, are fun. Yeah, you look at uh, Khalid Duke, edge rusher, he had thirty seven pressures. A um, couple guys in the secondary. Uh, I'm gonna botch this. Yeah, Ekal Boydo, uh, cornerback, um, and Justin Gardner. So interesting guys, That's- but just kind of all spread out. Well, that's fierce. I think that cornerback duo is fierce. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Jaron McPherson comes back in the secondary. I think the big question on defense is just what is linebacker going to look like? Yep. Um, and and again, they're they're going to play like a four a four three four two five, and and that's going to be a little bit troublesome because you know the fewer linebackers you have, the more important they are in terms of making tackles mm-hmm. and everything. And so that middle level, I think, I think they will be pretty good on the edges. I think that there there's potential along the defensive line, but when you really start to talk about run stopping, it wasn't great last year. They allowed what they were 95th in EPA per rush allowed. And so that, that is going to be, they're going to need some people to step up there. I think that the, the the offense should be better than the defense this year, and the defense won't be bad, but I am worried about the defense's ability to kind of consistently take pressure off of their defensive backs. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I, I think, by the way, Echo Boydo, that's my fault. I looked that up to make sure how to pronounce it. Um, yeah, the EB, front... EBD, I'm all about nicknames this year. I'm not yes, saying anybody's absolutely. name I can't pronounce. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great way to look at it. Um, yeah, the front seven, I mean, classify them as a 3-4. That's just going to be the question mark. When you lose a dominant edge rusher like Hubert, it, you really kind of have to refocus how, I think, you not call defenses, but certainly how you prioritize your own defense because you can always rely on Hubert to get to the quarterback. Uh, Duke's fine, but they're going to have to find new ways to get pressure. And, uh, and in like terms said, of, like, game planning, you know that yeah. opponents are going to be looking around and, and scheming around Hubert. Exactly. And so how do we... But that kind of certainty is gone this year. So that that presents a challenge, I think, uh, a little bit more than just losing him. I think there is, there's kind of ripple effects there. For sure. And look, we've seen this before with TCU. You have a great secondary or a really good secondary, but not a great front push or, or certainly a question mark at the push. So there's only a certain amount of time the secondary can hold the talented wideouts and tight ends and running backs in the Big 12 and, and the teams that, stand, that uh, Kansas State will play. And it just kind of creates a lot of question marks um, that I, I don't necessarily think Kleiman wants to answer this year. Continuing my theme of going positive, though, Kleiman's a defensive guy. Um, True. I think Joe Klanderman coming into his second year is going to have his, his sea legs underneath him. Uh, they, they, they lost Scotty Hazleton to Michigan State after the 2019 season. And so that kind of left a little bit of a vacuum last year. Scotty Hazleton has been around Kleiman, North Dakota State, Kansas State, like... I do think last year was a year of transition, not just because of COVID and everything, but also because, hey, they, they lost their defensive coordinator. And so I do want to give them a little bit of grace there to say, hey, they're going to have, you know, a lot of guys returning. Um, they're going to have a really good pass defense. And they'll kind of have an entire year of working on their systems. And so, you know, the best case scenario for Kansas State is their offense retains that kind of explosive, uh, explosive ceiling. And then their defense kind of recalibrates and says, no, our culture is it's going to be hard to score on us. And and so that gets them into a lot of just slogs, a lot of fights. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I think that's kind of what they're hoping for. 
I agree. Parker, we are coming up on an hour on this podcast. Let's, do you want to talk about the teams that Kansas State will be fighting? Already? Dang, we're just cruising. I, I guess we did spend 25 minutes on media day, so we just saw we, all over the place. <laughs> which I know you were really excited about. Um, Parker, I have a question. Why is Kansas State playing Stanford at uh, Jerry World? Yeah, I don't I don't actually know. I <laughs> So like in 2014, this is an awesome game, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I wonder how long ago this was scheduled, but yeah, this seems I mean, I think there was a lot of capital D discourse about it being disappointing that this game was at 11 a.m. And not to sound too harsh, but I'm like, man, you're lucky this game isn't at like 9:30 on a Friday. Yeah. Because Stanford is mediocre there's stanford and and kansas state you know coming off a down year is not necessarily like a marquee big eyeballs program so i i like this in spirit i think it's two of the hardier teams in in college football historically saying you know stylistically let's let's play but yes it it really doesn't feel like a this is one of those games i think if college football is functioning well it's it's a home and home it's not in jerry world this game in dallas just makes it feel aloof and adrift i'm gonna watch it it's gonna be you know it's football but yeah, that, that one's weird. Um, I think I saw an opening line of like Kansas State minus two, and that kind of drifted back closer to like a pick em. I I don't see any reason they shouldn't win this game convincingly. I, I agree. I, I think the more I think about it, I think this has the potential to get deeply weird. Um, like Kansas State and Stanford playing like not the most explosive brands of football in front of, let's conservatively call it, a 60% filled cherry world um, could get really odd. And I'm kind of excited to see what happens. I'm trying to think of another 11 a.m. Jerry world game. Yeah, not many. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, yeah. The butt bowl. The butt bowl has definitely been at 11 a.m. or A&M Arkansas, one of the two. Mm, yeah, yeah. Th- th- this feels less shiny than either of those, though. I don't know. This has big butt bowl bu- like vibes. For the record, that's Baylor, Texas Tech. In case I- I'm sure everyone knows that, but I'm that's what that is. Um. Okay. So I- I'm going to call that a win. I think. I think so. I'm going to call yep. Southern Illinois. Grant, you know, without looking, Southern Illinois mascot. The Salukis. Salukis. That one says pretty easy. That wasn't as fun facty as I wanted okay. to be. That's, oh, that's hey, a win. I finally got I finally got 130 out of 130 on the mascot quiz. On oh, nice. A couple weeks ago. Yes. Nice. I'm proud of you. Yeah. You're showing a lot Thank of spiritual you. and emotional growth lately. Thank you. Um, we're gonna get you a girlfriend one of these days, Grant. <laughs> Single and looking, folks. Hit my DMs. That, we'll get to that later. Have I mentioned that he's very tall? Um, <laughs> Okay, a game, maybe the most interesting game, just because the Big 12 games bore me at this point. They play Nevada at home on the 18th of September. That is a dangerous game. Nevada, Carson Strong, Jay Norvell's their coach, is the air raidinest air raid team. Like, they might be more air raid than Mike Leach is at Mississippi State. They are slinging the ball, and they beat some teams last year they probably should not have. You know, they have, they have some turnover issues, but... If Kansas State tries to play man ball, ball control, this could be troublesome. I don't think they lose this game. I just think it's going to be a lot more annoying than they want the week before they have to travel to Stillwater. I completely agree. I think it's a win, but this, again, has another potential to get deeply weird. And this might be my own biases and stereotypes coming out, but 
to, to me, Kansas State football is an ethos, and climate is an ethos. As an ethos, they like to control games. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. That we'll play on our terms, we'll play on our tempo. And I think when games get weird, it doesn't really necessarily fit Kansas State's whole vibe. And so I'm curious to see how they handle that against Nevada. Yeah, that that will be a test. I mean, they're going to see a broad range of you know Stanford. Uh, is going to run the ball, twenty-one personnel, whatever, and then and then Nevada just spread it out and sling it. That defense is going to maybe there, maybe there's some benefits, maybe there's some positives to that. Of they're going to see a lot of looks and get a lot of in-game reps versus different types of schemes. But mm-hmm. man, that's that's worrisome. Yeah, I mean, you saw last year with Arkansas State, they lost that game because they couldn't control it. I mean, Arkansas State pretty much controlled how that game went. Um, yeah, and then you roll right into Big Twelve play, like you said, and you and you mm-hmm. roll in theoretically three and zero. And you could go 0-3 so easily. Just basically do what you did last year. Kansas Kansas State's ranked 23rd. They've beaten Stanford. Looking great. Lose to Oklahoma State. Lose to Oklahoma. Bye. Lose to Iowa State. At, at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma at home, Iowa State at home. Yeah. 1-2 and two against that slate is, is impressive. And I think... I, I mean, I know they're two, uh, climate's 2-0 against Oklahoma. I think Iowa State's the most likely win for some reason. I, I mean, well, just because of the buy and you get them at home, and I think they're overrated. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think there's a body blow thing with Nevada-Oklahoma State. I think that Oklahoma yeah. is better than they've ever been. Also, you get, you know, Rattler gets a, a full four-game slate to work out whatever nonsense. Yeah. And so I think they'll drop two in a row I, I, I and then beat Iowa State. Although I'm not, I, I, I just saying, I think they'll win one of those three. Okay. I'm calling it 0-3, but I think the most likely one is Iowa State. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Uh, and so after the bye, you know, you go Iowa State, you go to Texas Tech, I think is, is a pretty a easy win. Yeah. pretty win. You have TCU at home, which is just a weird game. I, I, I think that Kansas State, this is one of those games where you know, if Kansas State's where they want to be, they should win this. If TCU's where they want to be, they should win this. I, I think TCU probably wins that. Yeah, I don't think they. That they makes me let. feel bad because I have them going what, like one, like two and two after going three and three. Yeah, I, I, I think TCU wins that, but that is an absolute like pick'em game at the start of the season. And I think too, I, I just don't necessarily see Patterson. I don't necessarily see TCU losing that game three years in a row. Especially if TCU's offense, like last year, if TCU Works. just had an offense, they would have yeah. they would have won very handily. And again, probably yeah. two years ago, uh, two years ago was like a stupid special teams thing. So they didn't yeah. have offense, and they had a st- stupid and, special and, teams and the thing. Problem last year was that they had no pass rush, and they'll have a pass rush theoretically this year. Is the, TCU will. So. Is the narrative this year then like Chris Kleiman's luck is running out if he loses to Oklahoma, loses to TCU, loses to Iowa State? I think Kleiman's got enough goodwill to where that's not. I, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I don't mean anything sort of like, is he on the hot seat or I'm just saying like, oh, yeah, oh, he came yeah. in the first two years and, oh, that maybe that's not sustainable. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that pans out, if this pans out like we're like we're kind of saying. Right. I, that definitely might be the national narrative. Uh, we here at the Purple Theory Podcast, I think I speak for you as well, are willing to give him like a few more years to work. Oh, I want him to win a national championship at Kansas yeah, State. I, I think that would be the coolest yeah, thing in the entire awesome. world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if if – Again, this is probably to TCU's detriment, so I don't actually want this. But like, if Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman are playing with a shot at the Big Twelve title on the line, that would be just amazing. Just right. from an existential like college football narrative history sense, that would be awesome. And then I behold a pale horse, and its name that it set on him was death, <laughs> and hell followed with him. 
Uh, <laughs> after TCU. So, uh, so okay. So, so let's let's recap real quick. I have them at three and zero, three and three, and I have them at four and four going at Kansas. You have them at five and three going at Kansas. Um, yeah. You pick up the win at Kansas, so I have them at five and four. You're at six and three. Then they close with home for West Virginia, home for Baylor at Texas. I think they're going one and two against that. I think I think they're going to hit six okay. wins. I see. I have them at two and one, so that's also six wins. I think. I don't know. I man, okay. Let me think about this. You're higher. They on should West absolutely beat Baylor. They should probably beat West Virginia. I think I have them at two and one. I think I'm going yeah. seven and five. Okay, so I have yeah Stanford, Illinois, Nevada, Tech. Kansas, West Virginia. I have it. The hell? Oh yes, I have a seven five. Yeah, I think I feel more anyway, comfortable okay, because yeah. that that gives you a nice mean. And then I'm saying, look, you fool around and win eight. You fool around and win five. I'm pretty comfortable with you being in that range of five to eight. Yeah. But I'm I'm I think I'm projecting seven. Yeah, I got him at seven two. Which which I mean that's about right. I mean you improved from four and six last year again a weird year for sure. But and. You know, you, you kind of take out the weird variable of beating Oklahoma, but also you kind of handle your business against some of the lower teams in the conference, and there you go. And think about the long game. The long game this year is getting Rubley ready to take over a high-functioning offense because Chris Kleiman yep. has put together a high-functioning offense in the past, yep. um, especially with quarterbacks he's recruited. And so, man, if 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 Thompson stays healthy this year, Rubley can redshirt, and then you can hit the ground running in twenty-two. I, I think I think seven wins and a bowl win is a success uh, unequivocally. I completely agree. Um, and to think that I came into this podcast thinking I was down on Kansas State, but I think we ended that on hopeful terms. Seven to five. I think I'm just build. very optimistic about their long term. And so, yeah. again, because if you're if you're if you're climbing and you're in Manhattan, I don't care about 2021. Like obviously, I want to no. win, but 2021 is a stepping stone to like 2024. You know? Yep. Yep. Four is pretty no, long. 2023, agree. but yeah. Point. Yeah, point. 2024 is not a real year. It might not be by that point. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I think the story we've told of Kansas State is, hey, they're really volatile last year, but obviously their quarterback got hurt. We don't project them to lose their quarterback to injury again this year, and so it'll be a question of, can they raise their efficiency floor on offense while maintaining kind of that explosive Deuce Vaughn threat? How will Danny I factor in at tight end? Uh, they, they should have a pretty consistent quarterback and a pretty pretty above average offensive line. Um, defense is interesting because it is kind of a test case. Again, this year, returning production may not matter that much because most people are returning most production, but they do lose, you know, three really core guys. They have a good secondary, but up front, I'm just not, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not sure I'm convinced in their ability to get a pass rush or stop the run in a way that doesn't just completely freeze their secondary. And so there's some, there's some really interesting questions kind of about Kansas state, this year, I think it will be a year in progress. That doesn't mean they'll be bad. Again, again, seven and five is nothing to sneeze at for most programs in America. And um, if they can rebound and set up for the future, I actually feel pretty good about Kansas State and you know, twenty twenty one and the horizon. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think under this is not me burying Bill Snyder, but I, I think under Climate they have the potential to move from that middle ground, always fifth team to the perennially contending for second you land more among third and fourth than you do um you know sixth and seventh uh in yeah. conference i have so i have one question for you and then okay. i want to do a new a new segment i haven't talked to you about but okay great i'm excited first oh should, wait, should we pull up kansas state alumni or is this podcast going too long 
I don't care. We can, we can do that too. Um, okay. First, what's the, what's the first year you see Chris Kleiman making the Big 12 championship? Not winning, just making. Just making? Um, I know I said it wasn't a real year. 2024. I think that's fair. I, I think I could believe, because the, the only thing I'm worried about is that like by that time, theoretically, you know, if Stark works out at Texas, they're going to be humming. But then also Campbell's probably leaving in the next couple of years. And so there there is a vacuum. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I think as early as 2022, that would shock me. But I think if, if Kleiman's yeah. doing things right, 23, they're, they're, they're poised to strike for sure with, uh, with little Rocky as their, as their quarterback. Um, okay. Second, second, uh, the recurring segment that I'd like to institute, what percent crazy would it be for Kansas state to be in Arlington this fall? Zero to 100. How crazy? 95. Dang. I don't, I mean, I'm, they're not going to make it to Arlington. I was going to say like 80, which I still no, feel like is pretty high, no, but I don't think it's like 80% no. crazy that they make it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, Ohio and Iowa State, or Ohio, good Lord. Um, by the way, uh, happy trails, Frank Solich. Um, did he retire or did he die? He, he retired. Oh my gosh. I would have said RIP if he died. Happy trails means he retired. Uh, okay. Happy trails, right. Frank. Um, no, Oklahoma's the favorite. Obviously, Iowa State's up there. Uh, Oklahoma State's up there. We can dream and say TCU's up there. Who knows about Oklahoma State? Um, Kansas State is comfortably like the fifth or sixth there, and I think there's a gap. Yeah. And, and so that's the kind of that maybe that's the guiding question of like, how do we interpret Kansas state as I'm pulling up the alumni list here? Um, the question of how I interpret in, uh, Kansas state is, you know, the uh, song written by Bruce Springsteen, Atlantic city. Uh, there's winners oh, and yes. there's losers and I'm south of the line. Wait, uh-huh. Is Kansas state south of the line? Are they on the other side of the big 12's middle class or are they up there? I, I think that's no. kind of the, the heuristic for how to interpret them. Yes, I think they're very solidly. I think they listen. You said this at the start. They are the line, um, and yeah. they're trying to get above it. And so, like year to year, it's saying like, "Hey, how often are they above it versus below it?" For yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's the uh, it's the Parker McCollum song. Uh, you know, we'll meet you in the middle. It's Diamond there Rio too, but you know, we can go on. Really? Uh, Kirstie Alley is associated Kirstie with Alley. Kansas State. She is. So is uh, the guy who always pops up on the sideline, Eric Stone Street of Modern Family. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I didn't know his name, but I see his face, the Modern yeah. Family guy. I, Modern Family was really funny for like three seasons. I have watched zero of it. It's it's It was really good for a while. It really was. Um, Earl Woods, Tiger Woods' dad. Oh, that was pretty good. Bill Guthridge, former head coach of the University of North Carolina. Basketball I want to comment. Seasons. I want to comment on the, the sheer size sure. of this list. I don't know a lot of these names. Nothing really jumps out at me, yeah. but it's very impressive that a lot of can So, you know, a ton of like the 31st governor of Nebraska, a ton of people very highly rated in the military, uh-huh. um, a couple, you know, state rep or a couple U.S. representatives and senators from Kansas. <laughs> uh, there. Does the name Alan West ring a bell? Uh, I've heard of Alan West. He Who is, knew? He is a Kansas State alumni. Um, and I have no comment. Uh Lon Kruger, Oklahoma basketball coach, knew that. Some of these, some of these, that, the 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 you know the um, the the athletics always feels cheating. So I'm like, yeah, Michael Beasley, yeah. but I knew that. Like, did you know uh, D- uh, DeLos Dodds? DeLos Dodds was former AD at Texas. 
no Kirby Hokut along those lines, former uh, chairman of either. chairman of the playoff COVID committee. Yeah. Um, uh, this this will uh, interest about two people. Uh, Robert Streb, who's a PGA Tour golfer, still lives in Kansas, um, which is hard to do as a PGA Tour golfer. You don't get a lot of practice in the winter time. Famous for breaking his putter on like the thirteenth hole at the Greenbrier and then putting with a wedge for the rest of the round and made the playoff, which is impressive. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't. Is that like playing on a torn hamstring or the flu game it's or something? Like, I don't. I don't really have like a golf. A, That's not to demean it. I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's. I mean, it's like you're just completely. It's like instead of using a hockey stick, you just have to kick it. Oh, interesting. I think yes. that's technically illegal. Um, Aaron so. Brockovich went to Kansas State. Yes, she did. Uh, which is wild. Sean Lowe, who a huge bachelor bachelorette franchise uh, personality. Good for him. I don't recognize him at all. Jim Rayburn, founder of Young Life. That's 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 a big really? deal. Okay. Yeah, there, no, I don't nobody know about famous went to, Yeah, nobody famous went to Kansas. A character from the John Grisham novel The Firm is noted to have graduated from Kansas State. Really? This list I is like not film. as fun <laughs> as the Baylor list. Well, I saw because uh, Pat Roberts is the senator. Uh huh. And I think I was thinking of Pat Robertson, the uh, televangelist. Oh, yeah. I was Very like, oh, that wouldn't be fun, but no, I didn't. Yeah. The uh, Pete Souza or Souza, who is the like the photographer uh, for the white, the chief White House photographer. Um, oh, who I like? He had a lot of pictures of Obama that always get like shown. I remember him being like very. Um, oh, and well, we're forgetting the big one, Parker. Gary Patterson. Indeed, um, I'm going to tell this story because it's late in the podcast, and I don't care. Are you aware that Gary Patterson had like verbally accepted the Kansas State job? No. What year? I'm debating what I'm actually going to do here. Um, is this is this? Uh, I don't know this from retirement. I just know that uh, he had not put anything on paper, and word got out, and it fell apart. But he okay. was he was all but gone. Uh, he just had not um, clarified that on the home front, and. Uh, you know, one of the patron saints of, of TCU athletics, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Coach P. They they talked about it, and he decided to stay in Fort Worth. But Kansas State thought they were getting him for a little bit. Is probably the best way to say that. Um, like like very real and seriously. Um, before the Big Twelve. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that, that's I, like I know he's flirted with other jobs. That sounds like it was a a while ago. Yeah, but he's got clo- he's got close ties up there. I mean, you know. Yeah. Kansas guy, uh, Pitt State, Tim Beck is, is on TCU staff and is, and is doing a lot of stuff with the offense. So um, a lot of ties there. Uh, instead, Ron Prince. Um, anyway. Yeah, you, you know, you don't have to hire Ron Prince. That's all I have to You don't have to hire Brian Van Gorder. Like, you just, you just don't have to do it. That's going to be a tireless episode. You don't have to hire have Ron to hire Prince. <laughs> Um, uh, I think that this has been the Purple Theory Podcast where we've yes, previewed Kansas State. I'm your uh, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. I'm on Twitter at StatsOWar. Grant is uh, our, our co-host. You can find him on Twitter at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Um, I think next week we will come back and do another team. I took a poll on Twitter and then decided I didn't want to do Iowa State next because I think we'll get to them later. So we'll figure out what team we're doing next, but it won't be Iowa State. Can I put you on the spot? Sure. Do you want to do Texas? 
Yeah, I think it's great. Okay. I, think I have many thoughts on that. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. The monologue um, itself is going to be 10 minutes long. I'm going to I'm gonna give... Oh, so you'll do the monologue next week. That's great. I'm going to um, give you some homework. Make sure you've watched the Steve Sarkeesian RPO Clinic. I can provide you with yeah. a link. It's like 40 okay. minutes. It rules. And I think it's very informative as to what he's going to try and do with his personnel at Texas. And I'm going to tease this. It might reveal why this could be a rocky year for the Texas Longhorns. I'm calling this podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>